Section 13 of 93 by Victor Hugo. Translated by Aline Delano. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 1. Book 3. Chapter 2. A peasant's memory is worth as much as the captain's science. The provisions with which the boat had been stocked were far from superfluous, for the two fugitives were forced to make long detours and were thirty-six hours in reaching the coast. They passed the night at sea, but the night was fine, with more moonlight than is pleasing to people who wish to escape observation. At first they were obliged to keep away from the French coast and gain the open sea in the direction of Jersey. They heard the final volley from the unfortunate corvette, and it sounded like the roar of a lion whom the hunters are killing in the forest. Then a silence fell upon the sea. The corvette Claymore perished like the Vengeur, but glory has kept no record of its deeds. One can win no laurels who fights against his native land. Almalo was a remarkable sailor. He performed miracles of skill and sagacity. The route that he improvised amid the reefs, the waves, and the vigilance of the enemy was a masterpiece. The wind had abated, and the struggle with the sea was over. Almalo had avoided the Côte de Minquier, and having rounded the Chaussée au Boeuf, took refuge there, so as to get a few hours of rest in the little creek formed by the sea at low tide. Then, rowing southward, he continued to pass between Granville and the Chaussée Islands without being noticed by the lookout either of Chaussée or Granville. He entered the Bay of Saint-Michel, a daring feat considering that the cruising squadron was anchored at Cancal. On the evening of the second day, about an hour before sunset, he passed the hill of Saint-Michel and landed on a shore that is always avoided on account of the danger from its shifting sand. Fortunately, the tide was high. Almalo pushed the boat as far as he could, tried the sand, and, finding it firm, grounded the boat and jumped ashore, the old man following, with eyes turned anxiously towards the horizon. "'My lord,' said Almalo, "'this is the mouth of the Quenon. We have Beauvoir to starboard, and win at the port. The belfry before us is Arvedon. The old man bent over the boat, took from it a biscuit which he put in his pocket, and said to Almalo, "'You may take the rest.' Almalo put what remained of meat and biscuit in the bag, and hoisted it on his shoulder. Having done this, he said, "'My lord, am I to lead the way, or to follow you?' "'You will do neither.' Almalo looked at the old man in amazement. The latter went on, "'We are about to separate Almalo, to manner of no use whatever.' Unless they are a thousand, it is better for one man to be alone. He stopped and pulled out of his pocket a knot of green silk resembling a cockade, with a fleur-de-lis embroidered in gold in the center. Can you read? he asked. No. Oh, that is fortunate. A man who knows how to read is embarrassing. Have you a good memory? Yes. Very well. Listen, Almelo. You will follow the road on the right and I the one on the left. You are to turn in the direction of Bazouge, and I shall go toward Fougere. Keep your bag, because it makes you look like a peasant. Hide your weapons. Cut yourself a stick from the hedge. Creep through the tall rye. Glide behind the hedges. Climb over fences and cross the fields. You will thus avoid the passers-by as well as roads and bridges. Do not enter Pontorson. Ah, you will have to cross the Quinon. How will you manage that? I shall swim across. Excellent. Then you will come to a ford. Do you know where it is? Between Nancy and Vieux-Vieux. Correct. You are evidently familiar with the country. But night is coming on. Where will my lord sleep? I can take care of myself. And where will you sleep? There are plenty of émousses. 
I was a peasant before I was a sailor. Throw away your sailor hat, it would betray you. You can surely find some worsted head covering. Oh, a cap is easily found. The first fisherman I meet will sell me his. Very well. Now listen. You are familiar with the woods. All of them. Throughout this entire neighborhood. From Noirmoutier to Laval. Do you know their names, too? I know the woods and their names. I know all about them. You will forget nothing. Nothing. Good. Now mind. How many leagues can you walk in a day? Ten. Fifteen. Eighteen. Twenty, if need be. It will have to be done. Do not miss a word of what I am about to tell you. You will go to the woods of Saint-Aubin. Near Lamballe. Yes. On the edge of a ravine between Saint-Rieux and Plédiliac there is a large chestnut tree. You will stop there. No one will be in sight. But a man will be there nevertheless. On that I can depend. You will give the call. Do you know it? Amalo puffed out his cheeks, turned towards the sea, and there rang the to-whit-to-hoo of the owl. One would have supposed it came from the depths of a forest, so owl-like and sinister was the sound. Good, said the old man. You have it. He extended to Almalo the green silk knot. This is my commander's badge. Take it. No one must know my name at present, but this knot is sufficient. The fleur-de-lis was embroidered by Madame Royale in the temple prison. Almalo knelt. Trembling with awe, he received the knot embroidered with the fleur-de-lis and in the act of raising it to his lips he paused as if in fear. "'May I?' he asked. "'Yes, since you kissed the crucifix.' Amalo kissed the fleur-de-lis. "'Rise,' said the old man. Amalo obeyed him, placing the knot in his bosom. "'Listen carefully to what I am about to say. This is the order. Revolt. Give no quarter. On the edge of the forest of Saint-Aubon you will give the call, repeating it three times.' After the third time, you will see a man rise from the ground. I know, from a hole under the trees. That man will be Planchenot, sometimes called Coeur de Roy. To him you will show this knot. He will know what it means. Then you are to go by ways that you must discover for yourself to the woods of Astier, where you will see a cripple surnamed Mousqueton, a man who shows mercy to no human being. You are to tell him that I love him, and that he must stir up the parishes in his neighborhood. Thence you will go to the wood of Quebon, which is one mile from Plourmel. When you give the owl cry, a man will come out of a hole. That will be Monsieur Tuault, Senescal of Plourmel, who formerly belonged to the Constitutional Assembly, but on the Royalist side. You will direct him to fortify the castle of Quibon that belongs to the Marquis de Guerre, a refugee. Ravines, woods of moderate extent, and even soil, a good spot. Monsieur Tuault is an able and upright man. From there you will go to saint gouin le and speak to Jean Chouan, whom I look upon as the actual leader, and then to the woods of Villanglos, where you will see Guitier called Saint-Martin. You will tell him to keep his eye on a certain Cormenil, son-in-law of the old Goupil de Prefel, and who is the head of the Jacobins of Argentan. Remember all this. I write nothing, because writing must be avoided. La Roirie made out a list which ruined everything. Thence you will go to the wood of Rouge of Feu, where Millet lives, he who leaps across ravines by the help of a long pole. They call it a leaping pole. Do you know how to use it? Am I not a Breton peasant? The leaping pole is our friend. It makes our arms bigger, our legs longer. 
That is to say, it reduces the enemy and shortens the way. An excellent machine. Once, with my leaping pole, I stood my ground against three salt-tax men armed with sabers. When was that? Ten years ago. Under the king? Certainly. Against whom? I really do not know. I was a salt smuggler. Very good. It was called fighting against the collectors of the salt tax. Is the tax on salt the same thing as the king? Yes and no, but it is not necessary for you to understand this. I ask Monseigneur's pardon for having put a question to Monseigneur. Let us go on. Do you know the Tourg? Do I know it? I came from there. How is that? Why? Because I come from Parigny. To be sure, the Tourg borders on Parigny. Do I know the Tourg? The great round castle belongs to the family of my lords. A large iron door separates the old building from the new part, which a cannon could not destroy. In the new building they keep the famous book on saint Barthélemy, which people come to see as a curiosity. The grass is full of frogs. When I was a boy I used to play with those frogs. And the underground passage, too. Perhaps I am the only one left who knows about that. What underground passage? I don't know what you are talking about. That was in old times when the Twurg was besieged. The people inside could escape through an underground passage, which opened into the woods. I know there are subterranean passages of that kind in the Chateau of Jupelier and Hunodai, and in the Tower of Champion, but there is nothing like it in the Tourg. But indeed there is, Monseigneur. I do not know the passages of which Monseigneur speaks. I only know the one in the Tourg because I belong in the neighborhood. And besides, I am the only one who does know of it. It was never spoken of. It was forbidden, because this passage had been used in the wars of Monsieur de Rohan. My father knew the secret and showed it to me. I know both the secret entrance and the outlet. If I am in the forest, I can go into the tower. And if I am in the tower, I can go into the forest without being seen, so that when the enemies enter, there is no one to be found. That is the passage of the Tourg. Oh, I know it well. The old man remained silent for a moment. You must be mistaken. If there had been any such secret, I should have known it. Monseigneur, I am sure of it. There is a stone that turns. Oh, yes. You peasants believe in turning stones, in singing stones, and in stones that go by night down to a neighboring brook to drink. A pack of idle tales. But when I turned the stone myself... Yes, just as others have heard it sing. My friend the Tourg is a Bastille, safe and strong and easily defended, but he would be a simpleton indeed who depended for escape on a subterranean passage. But, Monseigneur... The old man shrugged his shoulders. Let us waste no more time but speak of business. This peremptory tone checked Almelo's persistence. The old man resumed. Let us go on, listen. From Rougefeu you are to go into the wood of Montchevrier, where you will find Benedicite, the leader of the Twelve. He is another good man. He recites his Benedicite while he has people shot. There is no room for sensibility in warfare. From Montchevrier you will go... He broke off. I had forgotten about the money. He took from his pocket a purse and a pocketbook, which he put into Almelo's hands. In this pocketbook you will find 30,000 francs in paper money, which is worth about three livres and ten sous. The Asignats are false, to be sure, but the real ones are no more valuable. 
and in this purse, mind, you will find one hundred louis d'or. I give you all I have, because I have no need of anything here, and it is better that no money should be found on me. Now I will go on. From Montchevray you are to go to Antran, where you will meet Monsieur de Fort. From Antran to Jupelier, where you will see Monsieur de Rochecourt. From Jupelier to Noirieux, where you will find the Abbe Baudouin. Will you remember all this? As I do my paternoster. You will see Monsieur de Boisguy at Saint-Brice-en-Cogle, Monsieur de Tepon at Moran, which is a fortified town, and the Prince de Talmont at Chateau Gonfier. Will a prince speak to me? Am I not speaking to you? Amelo took off his hat. You need but to show Madame's fleur-de-lis, and your welcome is assured. Remember that you will have to go to places where there are mountaineers and pateaux. You will disguise yourself. That is an easy matter, since the Republicans are so stupid that with a blue coat, a three-cornered hat, and a cockade you may go anywhere. The day of regiments and uniforms has gone by, the regiments are not even numbered, and every man is at liberty to wear any rag he fancies. You will go to Saint-Merve. You will see Gaulier, called Grand-Pierre. You will go to the cantonment of Parnay, where all the men have swarthy faces. They put gravel in their muskets and use a double charge of powder to make more noise. They do well, but be sure and tell them to kill, kill, and kill. You will go to the camp of the Vachenoir, which is an elevation in the midst of the forest of La Charny. From Vachenoir to the camp of Lavoine, then to the camp Ver, and afterward to the camp of the Fourmis. You will go to Grand Bordage, also called Haut de Pre, where lives the widow whose daughter married Treton the Englishman. That is in the parish of Quelan. You will visit Epineux le Chevroy, Cirey le Guillaume, Guillaume, Paran, and all the men in hiding throughout the woods. You will make friends, and you will send them to the borders of Upper and Lower Maine. You will see Jean Treton in the parish of Vaigre, Sans Regret in Bignon, Chambord in Bonchamp, the Corbon brothers at Maisoncel, and Petit Saint-Fruge, Saint-Jean-sur-Evre. He is the one who is called Boudoiseau. Having done this, and uttered the watchwords, Revolt! No quarter! In all these places, you will join the royal and Catholic Grand Army wherever it may be. You will see Dolbey, de l'Escure, de la Roque-Jacquelon, and such leaders as may still be living. You will show them my commanders not. They know what it means. You are only a sailor, but Catelino is nothing but a teamster. You will give them this message from me. It is time to join the two wars, the great and the small. The great one makes more noise, but the small one does the work. The Vendée does fairly well, but Chouanerie goes farther, and in civil war cruelty is a powerful agent. The success of a war depends on the amount of evil that it causes. He broke off. Almelo, I tell you all this, not that you can understand the words, but because your perceptions are keen and you will comprehend the matters themselves. I have trusted you since I saw you managing that boat. Without knowing anything of geometry, you execute wonderful sea maneuvers. He who can pilot a boat can guide an insurrection. Judging from the way in which you managed our affair at sea, I feel sure that you will execute my instructions equally well. But to resume... So you will repeat to the chiefs all that I have told you, or words to the same effect as near as you can remember. I am confident that you will convey to them my meaning. I prefer the warfare of the forest to that of the open field. I have no intention of exposing one hundred thousand peasants to the grapeshot of the soldiers in blue and the artillery of Monsieur Carnot. In a month's time I expect to have five hundred sharpshooters hidden in the woods. The Republican army is my game. Poaching is one method of warfare. The strategy of the thickets for me. Ah, that is probably another word which you will not understand. But never mind, you know what I mean when I say no quarter and ambushes on every side. Give me more chouanerie rather than the regular Vendée and warfare. You will add that the English are on our side. 
Let us catch the Republic between two fires. Europe helps us. Let us put down revolution. Kings are waging a war of kingdoms. We will wage a war of parishes. You will say all this. Do you understand me? Yes. Put all to fire and sword. That is it. No quarter. None whatever. You understand. I will go everywhere. And be always on your guard, for in these parts it is an easy matter to lose one's life. Death I have no fear of. He who takes his first step may be wearing his last shoes. You are a brave fellow. And if I am asked Monseigneur's name... It is not to be made known yet. You are to say that you do not know it, and you will say the truth. Where shall I see Monseigneur again? At the place where I am going. How shall I know where that is? All the world will know it. Before eight days have gone by, you will hear of me. I shall make examples. I shall avenge the king and religion. And you will know well enough that it is I of whom they are speaking. I understand. Do not forget anything. You may rest assured of that. Now go, and may God guide you. Go! I will do all you bid me. I will go. I will speak. I will obey. I will command. Good. And if I succeed, I will make you a knight of Saint-Louis. Like my brother. And if I fail, you will have me shot? Like your brother. So be it, Monseigneur. The old man bent his head and seemed to fall into a gloomy reverie. When he raised his eyes, he was alone. Almelo was only a black speck vanishing on the horizon. The sun had just set. The sea mews and hooded gulls were flying homeward from the ocean, and the atmosphere was charged with that well-known restlessness that precedes the night. The tree frogs croaked, the kingfishers flew whistling from the pools, the gulls and rooks kept up their usual evening clamor, and the shorebirds called to each other, but not a human sound was to be heard. It was absolute solitude. Not a sail on the bay, not a peasant in the fields, only a bleak expanse as far as the eye could reach. The tall sand thistles quivered. The pale twilight sky shed a livid light over all the shore, and the ponds far away on the dark plain looked like sheets of pewter laid flat upon the ground. A sea wind was blowing. End of section 13